Christians you shouldn't be Second Amendment is still part of our constitution. There's no excuse for bigotry. And we need to protect their rights because Breaking news out of Minneapolis today as the Hennepin County attorney ruled to not Islam is holding our country hostage, and we must use everything in our power. The idea of global warming is a shouldn't be posting hate speech, period. Everyone yelling at each other actually started praying for each other, or something might actually change. There's no excuse for the idea of global warming. And we must use everything in our power to stop America. All of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today, way to go. You made it to church on a rainy day. I want to welcome those of you also who are watching online, wherever you might be around the country and world. We know that this is your church, this is your connection to us, and we to you, so welcome to you as well. Uh, before we dive in today, I want to bring a financial update to you, and the news is very, very good. Um, over the past 12 months, the number of families who have started giving and tithing at our church for the first time is 3,331, and that has put us in a position to do something that we never thought would be possible to do. Some of you know that we've been negotiating for many, many months with a Kmart property in Anoka as the new location for our Coon Rapids campus, which is currently meeting in the Coon Rapids High School. Well, just on last Friday, a few days ago, we closed on that property, and we're going to begin construction in a couple of weeks, and over at Coon Rapids, you are celebrating right now as I say that. It's going to seat 1,000 people times four services over. It'll cost $18 million. And for those of you who cannot possibly conceive, there's the map where it's going to be, of repurposing a Kmart. I mean, I can't even imagine how to do that. Here's what that's going to look like, the architectural design. And it's just great news. Uh, the fantastic news is because of your generosity, though, we're going to be able to do this completely debt-free. I mean, this is totally mind-blowing. Yeah, it's amazing. It's totally unbelievable. We're keeping our expenses low, no large staff increases, all going toward reaching as many people for Christ as we can in the Twin Cities. So I'm just, I'm just blown away by this. And way to go, those, those 3,331 families who joined the rest of us who are, are consistent givers. We are on a series called Culture Clash, and today's message is called Freedom or Constraint. And if there's one thing we all love in this country, it's our freedom. Freedom to do and be whatever we want. Our country was founded on the concept of freedom. In fact, our forefathers wrote the Declaration of Independence, which declares that we are an independent and free people. The very first lines out of the gate in the Declaration says this, we hold these truths to be self-evident. It's obvious that all men and women are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, and here's that word, liberty or freedom, and the pursuit of happiness. Our Constitution says that every one of us has a right to freedom, which is why the idea of constraint is so negative, seems so negative or even repulsive to us, that we would constrain something seems just opposite. Uh, Phil Print and I were best friends in high school. We, we went fishing together. We went on double dates together, led our basketball team together. We have a photograph of those two good-looking guys there. 
we were 15 years old. We bought Suzuki motorcycles on the same day together. We lived in the area in the area of Pennsylvania where dirt bikes and motorcycles were kind of a rite of passage. And we convinced our parents, I don't know how we did this, to buy motorcycles before we even had licenses or old enough to drive them. One day, Phil and I decided to skip school. It's the only time we'd ever done this in high school. And it was one of the best days of our lives. All of our friends were suffering in class that day while Phil and I were riding our dirt bikes up and down the Allegheny Mountains, the foothills, just having a ball. We were free, and we were cool, and we got caught big time. We were in jail. After about three hours of riding, we had to go into town to get gas, and I'll never forget this moment. We were cruising down Leewood Drive with the wind blowing through our hair. Yes, hair. We had hair. And there's a little rise over uh, on Leewood Drive before you come to a stop sign. And we came over this little rise and turning onto Leewood and heading straight for us was a police car. Phil and I were riding side by side. We slammed on the brakes, skidded about eight feet on loose gravel, came to an abrupt stop, and we looked at each other. We looked at each other and we both knew what the other person was thinking. We could outrun this cop. We, we could peel into the ditch, through the field. He would have no chance of ever catching us. And for a moment, that's what I thought we were going to do. But we didn't. We turned our cycles off, and officer walked up to us. He said, do you guys know that riding motorcycles without helmets is against the law? Yes, sir, we know that. Do you know that riding without eye protection is against the law in this state? Yes, sir, we know that. He said, let me see your licenses. He looked at me and he said, how old are you, son? I said, I'm 15 and a half, almost license worthy. He stood there with his holstered gun and handcuffs and said, you know that skipping school is against the law. And I thought, we're going to jail. He said, what's your name, son? My name is Bob Merritt. He said, Merritt. He said, you wouldn't happen to be related to Reverend Calvin Merritt, would you? The pastor of First Baptist Church. I said, well, that's my dad. He said, you're kidding. I listen to your dad every Sunday morning on the radio. I love your dad. I don't go to his church. But your dad's great. Would you tell him that Officer Miller thinks he's doing a great job? I said, sure, which is a total lie. There's no way I was going to tell my dad that. <laughs> then he said, one more thing. If I ever catch you guys out here without a license again, you are in big Big trouble. And off he went. My point is, we thought we were free, but freedom without constraint really isn't free. If I had continued down that path of freedom, I would have failed high school. Cutting class kind of leads to that. And I'd have become a delinquent. I'd be an, I would be an uneducated, unemployed, lonely man because my wife, who is beautiful and smart, would have never joined up with a fool like me. In fact, see if you think this is true. Freedom without constraints today leads to a lack of freedom in the future. I mean, you can spend money freely today, but you're going to be buried in debt in the future. You're free to cut class today, but you're going to miss job opportunities in the future. You're free to consume large amounts of Doritos and Twinkies today. But you're going to harm your health for tomorrow. Freedom, I'm telling you, without constraint leads to a lack of freedom in the future. Yet we live in a culture that rails against any sort of constraint. 
In fact, I think the definition of freedom for most Americans is this. I have a right to do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want. Total freedom without any constraint whatsoever. But every parent knows this. If you give a child freedom without constraint, things go horribly wrong. And you sentence that child to a future of failure. You put a teenager in a classroom where they're free to mouth off and defy authority without constraint, those students are headed for a failed future because freedom without constraints now leads to a lack of freedom and and failure in the future. So why did the founders say that we all have the right to freedom? Why did they think that that would work in our country? Here's Here's the answer. And this is the honest truth. Our founders assumed that we were a nation of morality. They assumed we were a nation that knew right from wrong and had God as our leader, uh, under, uh, undergirding everything. In fact, in 19, or 1776, America, America was a new nation, you know this, and while, while not all the founding fathers were Christians, almost all of them believed in God, and they said it was this fundamental belief in God that would give America the moral foundation that our nation needed to succeed. In fact, so prevalent was our nation's belief in God and right and wrong that John Adams, the second president of the United States, vice president to George Washington, wrote this. He said, our Constitution was made only, only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other kind of people, that our Constitution would only work if we, the people, were moral and godly. It would only work if each American was self-governed by an inner morality that came from God and that this morality would be enough to serve as a guardrail and check to our freedoms. But here's the problem. We are no longer a moral nation that takes its cues from God or knows right from wrong. That ship has sailed. We said, we said in this, in, as not many of us, but in our nation, you know, forget about God and the Bible. We're gonna do whatever we want, whenever we want, with whomever we want. Not only, by the way, is that an affront to God and damages our relationship with him. But gang, when people live freely without any kind of moral constraint, it results in relational and social collapse. And you all know this. Immorality is undermining our country. We all know this. I think every person here knows that immorality in all its forms is hurting our marriages, It's destroying our families. It's eroding our schools and cities and nation because I'm telling you, when a people do whatever they want, whenever they want, with whomever they want, without any moral constraint, it hurts relationships and it undermines a nation. I believe the reason our nation is cracking and is so angry and broken and at odds with each other is because so many people in this country are demanding their freedom 
without any kind of moral constraint. And consequently, gang, our freedoms are just clashing against each other like never before. Now, the question here today is, how should we respond? And the Bible's real clear about this. And by the way, I'm not assuming all of us are Christians here today at all. Some of you are new to church, you're new to faith, and this whole God thing, I'm so glad you're exploring those things. But for the Christian here today, for those of you who name the name of Christ, how should you respond? And the first response is this. We as Christians need to practice proper constraint ourselves. I want to raise a question. Are you as a follower of Christ practicing constraint in the area of your relationships, conduct, spending, and every other part of your life? Are you practicing moral constraint? Look what the Bible says about this. You are called to be free. Free from sin, from guilt, all that. But don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. You're free, but don't, you know, don't indulge. You're free, says First Peter, but don't use your freedom as, as an excuse to do evil. Why? Because I'm telling you, gang, freedom without constraint leads to bondage and wreckage in our relationships in life. You're free to drink as much as you want. You're free. But then guess what? You find that it has a hold on you. And you're addicted and you want to quit, but you can't. And you're no longer free. The Bible says, look, you're free, but don't use your freedom to indulge this sinful nature. It's like an 18-year-old kid who goes off to college and he's no longer under mom and dad's you know, curfew and consumption rules. He's free. But man, don't use your freedom to sleep in, skip class, and party your brains out because that's gonna lead to a lack of freedom in failed classes, bad relationships, and missed job opportunities in the future. A lot of kids will say, yeah, but Bob, everybody's doing it. I'm here to tell you, everybody's not doing it. I didn't do it. My kids and their spouses didn't do it. Hundreds of students who go to this church don't do it. And I'm telling you, it's the reason why those students are succeeding in life. Because they've practiced moral constraint. One of the areas we have enforced constraint in our country is on, on the roadways, right? Speed limit, stop sign. But it's also where people like to express their freedom. And we get very agitated when somebody gets in the way of our freedom. A couple of weeks ago, we were driving down to Columbia, Missouri to see my son-in-law and daughter where they live. And I was in the passing lane just cruising 77 miles. Do you all know how to use cruise control? I mean, come on. Start using cruise control. Anyway, I was, I was closing in fast on a truck who was in the right lane. No problem, except there was an SUV right behind this truck who at the very last second used his freedom to pull out in front of me so he could pass the truck first, and I was agitated. <laughs> I might have called him something. I don't remember because I was so angry. I got right up on his rear end, you know, to send a message in a, a Christian way. <laughs> I thought if he's going to use his freedom to cut me off, I'm going to use my freedom to teach him a lesson. Suddenly, there was a big chunk of metal on the road between his car and me. And because I was so close to this guy, I had no chance to react. It flew up under my car, sliced a four-inch gash in one of my tires. 
And he kept going on his merry way. And I had to pull off to the side, limped into Macon, Missouri on a donut. And after $120 and a new tire, I was back on the road. But I used my freedom to get mad and try to teach him a lesson. But then suddenly, I wasn't free anymore. Blown tire and $120 later. I literally, while I was changing my tire on the side of the road, I thought to myself, Merritt, you're a Christian. You're a pastor. When are you going to grow up in these areas? Galatians 5, don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, to get mad, get even, to spend, consume, drink, or drive, however you want. I have a question for everybody. Is there an area in your life where you don't have much constraint? That's probably an area where you're not free. Where do you lack constraint? And what's it going to take for you to change that? A blown tire? Blown credit score? Blown marriage? Costly addiction? I'm telling you, the Bible says the only way to freedom is to practice constraint in all areas of life. I love this Psalm 119. I will walk in freedom. For I have devoted myself, God, to your commands. There's a connection between freedom and obedience, submission to God's commands. There's a constraint there that when I devote myself to what God says about relationships and debt and anger and sexuality, that's when I become free to experience God's favor and build a great life. Gang, we simply cannot do whatever we want, whenever we want, with whomever we want, and expect to be free. So, if you're a Christian here today, the first response to this whole issue of freedom and constraint is are you, as a follower of Christ, practicing proper constraint in your life so you can be free. Let me push the discussion a little bit. In preparing this message, I just tried to avoid subjects that would clash with people. Our culture is so inflamed right now, especially in the area of sexuality. No matter what I say about this, I'm going to get criticized for sure. So before I talk about this, just know my heart. Honestly, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been or what you've done, you're welcome here. You are. No matter what you believe about sex outside of marriage or living together or gay marriage or sexual identity or abortion, I'm telling you, you're welcome here and you will be shown love here. But also know that as a Christian pastor, I am bound, I am bound by the truth of God's word, the Bible. You know, some churches are all about love. We just love and be tolerant. And they never talk about truth. Other churches just pound away at the truth and they're not very loving. You know what the Bible says about this? That we as Christians, if you're a Christian here today, we need to, here it is, the Bible says it this way, speak the truth. God's word never changes, but do it in love. You know, Jesus said, when you know the truth, when you know and live by God's truth every single day, the truth 
It'll set you free, and we all want to be free. But you got to know the truth and live by the truth. So that's what I'm going to do in the next couple of minutes. And my goal is that you'll have a better understanding of what to do when somebody else's freedom clashes with yours. I want to give you the principle first, then I'm going to flesh this out a little bit. Whenever somebody's freedom clashes with yours, here's the principle. As a Christian now, if you're not a Christian, you can do whatever you want. But as a Christian, you've got to affirm biblical truth. Don't waver on truth. While at the same time, be loving and respectful toward those who oppose the truth. In other words, approach the clash with truth and love. And one of the biggest areas our culture demands freedom without constraint is sexuality. You know, culturally, legally, people are free to sleep with, live with, be with, whoever we want. We can cohabit, hook up, divorce, and remarry as often as we like. But remember, because remember, God and morality are no longer informing the decisions of American culture. So in this culture, we're free to do whatever we want. We're free to live with, sleep with, whatever we want. But as a Christian... As a Christian who is bound by God's truth, I am not free to do whatever we want with whomever we want. I have to first go back to what the Bible says about sexuality. I have to go back to Colossians 3.5. It says, have nothing to do with sexual sin. Have nothing to do with it, with impurity sexually and lust. I love what 1 Corinthians says, run Go the opposite direction from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects you as this sin does. You must honor God with your body. It's clear. Jesus said it this way. In the very beginning, the creator made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. That's freedom. I can leave home. Thank God I can... I'm free. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. That's constraint. And the two will become one flesh. What God, this isn't me, what God has joined together. Let nobody separate. Friends, God's design from the very beginning is that one man and one woman would be the biblical model for sexuality and marriage and is the basis from which all of society would be built. Again, culturally, we're free to do whatever we want. But as Christians, biblically, we are not free because in the beginning, God made them male and female, and any other arrangement is contrary to God's intent and ultimately destructive to people and destructive to society. I'm telling you, every week as a pastor, every single week, I hear story after story how the misuse of sexuality has ended marriages, torn families apart, and caused enormous relational pain, and how the misuse of sex has even given rise to the awful abuses of sex, like rape, abortion, and child exploitation. Again, if you're not a Christian, you're free to believe and do whatever you want within the law. But gang, if you're a believer here today, you are called to affirm and live by 
God's truth. Now, one of the areas I almost never talk about, but I think it's connected to our culture's demand for sexual freedom, and that's abortion. But we should talk about it. It's a huge problem. Again, in America, consenting adults have the freedom to sleep with, have sex with, with anyone they want as often as they, as they want. And we have the freedom in this country, unbelievably, to abort a child. We are legally and culturally free to do that without constraint. But biblically, gang, biblically, we are not free to do that. It's legal, but it is not moral. The phrase that certain politicians use to justify abortion is, we need to protect the reproductive rights of women. But I would ask, what about the rights of the child? With the exception of rape, which, con which consists of about 1% of unwanted pregnancies and is just a horrible, horrible thing, most unwanted pregnancies are the result of a couple's choice to go outside of God's intent for sex and marriage. They want the freedom to have sex outside of marriage with anyone and everyone, but not be inconvenienced by a newborn baby boy or baby girl. How should Christians respond to that? Again, if you're an unbeliever, believe, do whatever you, do whatever you want, but if you're a Christian here, we need to respond with truth and love. We need to affirm biblical truth and the sanctity of life, but we need to do it with love and respect. I think nobody wins by getting angry about this and yelling at people. I mean, I get angry, but yelling at people, Jesus said it this way, be wise as serpents, be very wise, but be gentle as doves, you gotta be wise and discerning when you're engaging in conversations with people about this, but you also gotta be very gentle. You know, put the personal relationship with this person first because I'm telling you, nobody wins by yelling and protesting. So as Christians, we're bound to biblical truth. We simply can't agree with abortion, but we gotta approach it with wisdom and gentleness. And if I could just say a word to those of you who've had an abortion, You've not committed the unforgivable sin. You are deeply, deeply loved by God, and you will be loved by the people in this church. You will. We talked to a woman this week who's had some abortions, and she has found freedom in Christ. And so we want you to see her story on, on video and just let God speak to you through what she says. My name is Kaylin. I'm 33 years old. I grew up in a wonderful Christian home. My parents have a really big heart for the Lord, and it was important to them that we knew about God and brought us to church. I sang in the worship team with my dad growing up. I always wanted to make my parents proud and never wanted to disappoint them, and so I was a good kid. I didn't go to parties. I didn't drink. It was important for me just to stay away from that. I was really involved in sports, really involved in school. Purity was important to me, and I didn't want to have sex until I was married. I also got involved in pro-life ministry, and from that came me starting my own demonstrations. I wrote a lot of speeches. 
and even had something published at a really young age on adoption over abortion. I switched schools a lot and I had a really hard time finding acceptance each place that I went. I decided that I wanted to fit in and I found that my morals were something that were hindering some friendships that I wanted to have. My life didn't just change overnight. It was a series of pushing boundaries, making small compromises. What started out just smoking a cigarette occasionally with friends turned into drinking on the weekends. It turned into having sex with my boyfriend, trying drugs with other guys, and the choices I started making were just ones I never imagined I would. I feel like once my morals were compromised, in a sense, it kind of gave me this freedom to do whatever I felt like doing. And what that looked like for me was, I found that I could get love and receive love through sex and started having sex pretty carelessly into my college years and really didn't care about any of the things that were important to me before. I left college to move in with a boyfriend. While I was dating him, I found out that I was pregnant and he told me that he was going to leave me if I had the baby, that I was gonna be a single mom, that my parents would be disappointed. I fought it, I said, I don't believe in abortion. I'm not gonna have an abortion. I would never do that. And he wouldn't let up. And so I was brought to the abortion clinic, kicking and screaming, literally. Once that happened, I feel like that was really the straw for me. It was the one thing I never thought I would budge on. I'd made a lot of compromises, but I never saw that being one of them. And so my life really spun out of control after that. I had two more abortions in that year. And at that point, I had done it once. What was the harm in doing it again? I feel like the world told me that I could have an abortion and it would be done, and that I could go back to life as normal, and that wasn't what it was. It made me hate myself so much. I felt like I couldn't tell anyone. I felt completely hopeless and in the dark. I couldn't tell my family. I thought they would disown me. I was petrified of what people would think of me. So as a result of the shame, I needed a way to cope. And that started me on a journey of a 13-year addiction to drugs and alcohol. And alcohol took everything away from me. It completely destroyed my life. So I was in a place where I didn't think I had a chance. I had lost everything and I didn't think there was any hope for me. I didn't think there was a way to fix all the things I had done, all the destruction in my life. I thought I was completely doomed. I knew that I needed to make a big change or I was gonna end up losing my life and so I made the decision to go to a faith-based treatment center and what I experienced there was the love of Jesus and all the love that I had been looking for in the things of the world. Through the program I started going to a group called Conquerors for post-abortive women and this allowed me to really dig into what God thought of me and how to deal with my abortions. 
And so it took a lot of counseling, it took a lot of therapy, a lot of processing to come to a point where I truly believe that he forgave me and I truly believe that he would redeem me. For me now, it's important to tell my story and it's important for people to know that they aren't the only ones going through things. They're not the only ones that are making bad decisions. And you might make a bad choice, but you can be redeemed from it. And you can turn things around and there is hope. There's gonna be consequences and you're gonna have to deal with those decisions for the rest of your life. But God's been very faithful in everything that I did and the mess I made out of my life, he has turned into a message. I truly have freedom in Christ now. Really grateful to Kaylin um, for sharing her story with us. Um, she's got two children, Grace and Sam. She's now working again back with Pro-Life Ministries and experiencing newer life in Christ, and what I want to say to all of you is that God loves each and every one of you so deeply. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the regrets you may have. You can be forgiven. You can be healed and restored. If any of you are dealing with the issues that Kaylin was, please seek help. We can help you here. We've got people here that would love to point you in a direction that would restore you. But there's hope and there's healing for anybody who seeks it. You can become free in Jesus. I know I've thrown a lot at you today, and, and if you disagree with me on anything I've said, that's okay. I hope we can disagree uh, in love, and I respect your viewpoints, I do, if, if they're different than mine. But if you've used your freedom in a way that's outside of God's intent, and you find yourself in bondage to something, if you're living with regret and shame, true freedom is found in asking Jesus into your life. And friends, can I tell you as we close up today that the hope of the world is not in our government. It's not in who the next president is going to be. The hope of this world is Jesus Christ. The hope of this world is all of you who follow him. It's each individual Christian living their life by truth and love. So if you're married here today, your marriage will only be as good as the two people in it who are living by truth and love. If you have a family, your family will only be as good as the people in it living their lives by truth and love. Our schools will only be as good as each faculty person and student in it living by truth and love. Our cities will only be as good as the people in it. Our nation will only be as good as the people in it. And our world, I'm telling you, will only be as good as each person in it. The hope of this world is not our government. The hope of this world is not any politician or president. I'm telling you, it's in each individual Christian who lives their life by truth and love and who understands that true freedom requires constraint in all areas. Final verse, I will walk in freedom. 
Are you free today? I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself, God, to your commands. I love this church, and I love what God is doing through our church. Thanks for coming today, and may God bless each and every one of you. Let's stand for closing prayer at all campuses, and we'll be on our way. God, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your love. May we be the kind of people who live every single day by your truth and by your love. And some of us standing here are truth people. And we're not very loving. God, forgive us for that. And some of us are all about the loving part. And we just trash the truth. God, forgive us for that. May you set us free. May we walk in freedom as we devote ourselves once again today to following and obeying and submitting to your good and gracious commands. We pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a fantastic day, everybody. Yeah. Amen.